for your presence. We're thankful that you've chosen to be here today. We're always grateful for the opportunity to be together as God's people. We have a large number of visitors with us today, and as always, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're very thankful for the number of visitors that come our way from week to week. We've had, as we have said on a number of occasions, a good number of people that have placed membership with us. It may be the case that you're looking for a church home. And if that's the case, then let me tell you, you found a home right here. And we would love to have you. We're very grateful for those that have placed membership with us. And it may be that you're looking for a church home. And I know the elders are more than happy to sit down to answer any questions that you have to help you make your decision. And we would love to have you come and be a part of the work here. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 1, verse 16 in our study today, and we're going to be talking about the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, of course, is the good news, and the good news is that Christ has come into the world to save us from sin. I do not know of any other message that has the appeal of the gospel. It is an amazing message. And there are a number of reasons why it is so amazing. I want us to begin by looking, first of all, at the person of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I want to begin by saying that Jesus is the focal point of the gospel. As a matter of fact, he is the hub of the gospel. Everything revolves around him. Now we talk about Jesus, and the Bible presents the truth about Jesus, and then it talks about the task of Jesus. Let me just begin by saying that when we think about Jesus, there are a lot of, no doubt, things that could be said about him. But I want you to think, first of all, about his humanity. You see, Jesus was both human and divine. There's the human side of Jesus, and there is the divine side of Jesus. Now, Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 3, said that Jesus was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Jesus descended through the tribe of Judah and ultimately through the family of David. Matthew tells us that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and that that which had been conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. The angel of God further told Joseph that Mary would bring forth a son and he said, you will call his name Jesus for it is he that shall save his people from their sins. Now we talk about the humanity of Jesus, but then there is also the deity of Jesus, the fact that he is God. The Bible tells us that Jesus was God incarnate. Jesus Christ has always existed. He is a member of the Godhead, the second member of the Godhead. And the Bible tells us that he was the word who became flesh. Now in John chapter 1 verse 1, John said, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In verse 14, he said, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In those verses, you have a picture of the deity and the humanity of Jesus. Paul tells us that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul gives us a summation of the gospel. And the summation of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. The importance of his death? Well, in his death, he shed his blood. And through his blood, we have redemption or the hope of salvation. But then his resurrection. The fact that Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul makes a rock-solid defense of the resurrection of Jesus. And it's based on the resurrection of Jesus that we too have hope of a future resurrection. Now, what about the task of Jesus? There are a number of terms that we could use to sum up the task of Jesus. Why did he come to earth? Let me just give you one word, redemption. Jesus came to redeem us. Paul would say in Romans chapter 3, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus came so that we might enjoy salvation, so that we might be set free from a life of sin. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. There are a lot of things that we could say about the work of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. But ultimately, Jesus came to save the human family. What does that say about his love for us? The fact that the Lord loves us immensely. That God the Father was willing to give his only son so that we might enjoy salvation. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, While we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 8, he said, but God commends his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then I think about the words of Jesus in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. To know that God loved us enough to send his son and that Jesus loved us enough to come to earth and to fulfill the will of his father. And that will, it involved you and me. Before we were ever thought of by our parents, grandparents, or whomever, God the Father had us in mind because he sent Jesus to die for our sins. He was, as John said in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So the person of the gospel, that's Jesus, the Savior, but I want you to think also about the power of the gospel. Paul, again in Romans 1.16, said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, 
for it is the power of God unto salvation. Did you know that the gospel of Christ is a unique message? It's unique because of the power that exists in this book that we call the Bible. The beauty of scripture is that it has the ability to draw us to God. There are a number of things that I believe make the gospel a unique message. And as we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Paul is saying here, that it is God's power to save, there are some things that maybe we would do well to consider as we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. First of all, I want to begin by saying that the gospel has the ability to convince. Let me ask this question. If someone were to ask you, what do you think about Jesus, what would you say? If someone were to stop you at work or at school, on the ball field or wherever you may be, and say, you know, I've read a lot about Jesus, I've heard a lot about him, but what do you think about him? What would you say? Remember when Jesus was asked the question, who do men say that I the son of man am? And they said, some say that you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Jesus then asked the question, but whom do you say that I am? Did you know that the gospel is intended to convince us about Jesus? I will freely grant that we can read secular history, and there are a lot of things that we can read and study that will help us draw some conclusions about who Jesus is. But ultimately, the scriptures are what give us a definitive conclusion about the man Jesus. Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. For me, when I read the scriptures and I look at everything that Jesus did, the great miracles that he performed, the words that he spoke, leads me to the unmistakable conclusion that Jesus is the Son of the living God. He's who he claimed to be. John in John chapter 20 said, Many of the signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life through his name. There are seven signs spoken of in the Gospel of John. Every sign underscores the deity of Jesus, that he's who he claimed to be. And so when we talk about the unique power of the gospel, one of the reasons it's so unique is that it has the ability to convince us that, hey, this is the son of God. And then there's a second thing. The gospel has the ability to convict us. Paul in Romans chapter 1 says that the Gentile world they're under sin. In chapter 2, he says, in effect, that the Jewish world, they too, they're under sin. In chapter 3, he would say, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so when we talk about the gospel and its ability to convict, do you remember Pentecost Day when the apostle Peter and the other apostles preached the gospel for the very first time. Their message centered 
on the resurrected Christ, the fact that Jesus had died for sin, that he had been raised from the dead, and that he is now seated at the Father's right hand. The Bible tells us in verse 36, he said, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. In verse 37, Luke tells us that those who were assembled on that day were cut or pricked in their hearts. They knew about Jesus. They knew about him very well. And yet this message had cut them to the heart. So they cried out and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? The Hebrew writer tells us in chapter 4, verse 12, that God's word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Paul in Ephesians 6, 17 said that God's word is the sword of the spirit. God's word has the ability to penetrate deeply into the heart and cause us to reflect upon our standing with God. And so we talk about God's word convincing and convicting, but it also converts. I said just a minute ago on Pentecost Day that those who were assembled cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter, in a very plain and forthright way, said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. You see, the gospel has the ability to save us. There are a lot of things that we could say, as I said just a moment ago, about the gospel. But to know that this message right here has the ability to bring me into a relationship with God the Father, that I can enjoy peace with God. Paul would say in Romans chapter 5 at verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said it is the peace that passes all understanding. That's the kind of peace that we're looking for. So God's word has the ability to convert and then cleanse. When I obey the gospel, what is it I can expect? Cleansing. Do you remember when Saul of Tarsus was converted? Paul would later recount his conversion story in Acts chapter 22, verse 16. He said, Ananias said to him, what are you waiting for? Why are you tarrying? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Peter said it this way, seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit. When I obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, I enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. We sing the song, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. To know that whatever my past is, is behind me. It's over, it's done with. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The uniqueness of the gospel of Christ, it can cleanse me from sin. It can give me a fresh start on life. I can begin life anew. And then there is a final thing I want to suggest very quickly, and that is God's word, the gospel of Christ, confirms confirms some things to me. Number one, the gospel lets me know that I'm living the way I ought to live. In Romans 8, verse 16, Paul said, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. When I look at my life in light of this book, 
It tells me where I stand with God. It lets me know if I'm doing what the Lord would expect me to do. It lets me know if I'm out of harmony with his will. It is a mirror to the soul. And so when I look into this book, I see a reflection of my life in light of what God in his word has said. James talks about looking into the perfect law of liberty. It is a mirror to the soul. Now, what about this confirming power of the gospel? Let, let me just say this. The more time you spend in the word of God, the more secure you're going to feel about your relationship with the Lord. The greater, the deeper your faith will be. John said, these things I have written to you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. How do I know I have eternal life? By reading this book. How do I know about the place called heaven? By reading this book. Do you remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? For we know that if the earthly house of our tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Listen to what Paul's saying. We know that. How do I know that I know that I know? I know because that's what this book says, the gospel. So when I talk to people and say, look, if you'll obey this book, you can have the assurance that your sins are washed away, that you're in harmony with, with the will of God, and you have a home in heaven. Paul said we live in hope of life eternal. That's not some pie-in-the-sky religion. That's a fact. It's truth. Paul said... We live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. I have, as Peter said, an inheritance. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It fades not away. It's reserved in heaven. Do you believe that? You ought to, because that's what the gospel says. There's a third thing I want you to see in Romans 1.16, and that is the pledge of the gospel. There are really two things that I want to share with you along these lines. Now, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. First, there is the whosoever of the gospel. The whosoever of the gospel is inclusive of you and me. The gospel, as we sang a moment ago, is for all. No, ex no exemptions, no exclusions. Listen to what Jesus said. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him. Note the word whosoever. Paul said that the gospel is for the Jew and the Greek. The Jew, the Gentile. The gospel's for all. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter about your nationality. It doesn't matter about your education, your economic standing. The only thing that matters is that you are a living, breathing soul made in the image and the likeness of Almighty God. And God sent His Son to redeem you. And God wants you to be saved. The whosoever the God. Let me tell you what. You talk about a unique message and you talk about a great message. Look at all the people in northern Mississippi or DeSoto County. Look at all the inhabitants of our world. This message, the gospel, it's for all. 
I don't care where you go. I don't care who you talk to. This message is applicable to all. There's some great salespeople in our world today. It may be that you are a salesperson. And maybe you have the unique ability to sell your product to a lot of different folks. The product I'm selling is the gospel. And the beauty of this product is it's available to all. There are no exclusions, no exemptions. Everybody has the opportunity to be a member of the Lord's church, to be a Christian, to walk in the light, to be blessed by the Lord. So, the whosoever of the gospel and then the wherever of the gospel. Here's the beauty of the gospel, another facet of the beauty of the gospel. I don't care where you are in life. It doesn't matter where you are in this life. The gospel is for you. Now you just think about that for a minute. I don't care what your state in this life is. Let, let me just ask this question. Are you deep in a life of sin? The gospel's for you. Are you deep in a life of sin? Look at Paul. Paul talked about in 1 Timothy chapter 1 how he had been a persecutor, a blasphemer, a haughty or insolent man. But he said, The grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul considered himself the chief of sinners. Really what Paul is saying is, look, you want to talk about somebody who needed the Lord in his life? Paul's saying, it was me. You want to talk about the worst of the worst of the worst in terms of human beings? It was me. So I don't care how deep you are in sin. The gospel is for you. That's the second thing. Are you discouraged by sin, by a life of sin? The gospel's for you. Look at the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. You remember when he went out into that far country and wasted his substance with riotous or profligate living? Things got bad, didn't they? Jesus, in his narration of the prodigal son, talks about how he's feeding with the swine. He's out on his own. He's blown all of his living, his livelihood. And the Bible says he began to be in want, and no man gave unto him. You talk about discouraging. There are some people in our world today that it may be you. You're discouraged. You realize your life not what it ought to be. You're not where you ought to be. You're discouraged about your state in life. You're discouraged about your family. You know there's a better way of life. Let me tell you, the gospel's for you. The Bible says of the prodigal son, he came to himself. Here's what it takes. It takes that little light going off and saying, you know what, I need to come home. That's what the prodigal did. Let me ask you a third thing. Are you dissatisfied with the life of sin? If your answer is yes, the gospel's for you. 
How many people do you think in our world today, they've got everything that they want? I mean, most of us, we have very few wants in life. There may be things that, there may be things that some need. There may be, there may be things that some want. But by and large, most of us, whatever we want, we have. So there are a lot of folks that, to buy the, the words of Jesus, their barns are overflowing. They've got everything life has to offer. But here's the problem. They're dissatisfied. There is this void in life. Here's what I want to say to you. If God is not a part of your life, there is a void. It's not going to be, it, that void is not going to be filled with a new car, a new home, new furniture. It's not going to be filled with new clothes, with money in the bank, with land. None of those things are going to fill that void. The only thing that can fill that void is Almighty God. You remember Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, how he tried everything life had to offer? Solomon had power, he had prestige, he had prosperity, he had all these things going for him. He said, hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man. Let me tell you what. You can have everything but have nothing. Are you dissatisfied with a life of sin? Let me tell you, the gospel's for you. And then finally, are you dead in sin? If so, the gospel's for you. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 at verse 6, Paul talks about those who are living in pleasure. And he said, they're dead while they live. It's kind of a strange passage of scripture in a way. What, what does Paul mean, dead and yet alive? You see, sin brings spiritual death, doesn't it? When, when we live a life of sin, we're separated from God. We're estranged. And so yes, we're, we're alive, we're a walking corpse, so to speak. But here's the beauty of the gospel. I don't care how, how deep, how dark, how dead you may be. As the song said, chords that were broken will vibrate once more. I promise you, the gospel is for you. It's a great message. Most amazing message that I know of. I'm happy to share it. I'm excited to share it. I love sharing it because I know that the gospel can make you what you ought to be with Almighty God. Listen, there are a lot of, there are a lot of folks in our world today, they have a lot of needs, spiritually speaking. Every need that you have, spiritually speaking, can be satisfied by the Lord. That's why I hold up the gospel, the greatest message known to man. I want to close today by asking this question. Is the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ working in your life? Look, I know it's hard to come out of a life of sin. But the beauty of Christianity is that when we make that step, the Lord Jesus Christ and all of the blessings and favors that are to be enjoyed in him become ours. 
In Ephesians 1 verse 3, Paul talks about how every spiritual blessing known to man is in Christ. I want you to be rich spiritually. If you're not a Christian, could I encourage you today, come to Christ. Come in simple, trusting faith, believing that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of God. Be willing to repent, to turn from a life of sin, to give it up. As Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. And then confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is the Son of the living God. And then be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. When you do that, God will add you to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. You'll be a part of the family of God, and you'll live in hope of life eternal. And then the exhortation, the encouragement, be faithful until death. The promise being the crown of life. Let me ask this question. Are you a Christian? But for whatever reason, you've lost your way in life. You know you're not what you ought to be. You know you're not where you need to be. For whatever reason, you've left the Lord. Could I encourage you to come home? The amazing gospel of Jesus Christ is for you. It's for all of us. And the beauty of family members is that we pray together. We cry together and we laugh together. And we'd be happy to pray with you today. Because you see, James said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. We'd be happy to do that today. And you can leave here cleansed of every sin, back in the fold of God. Would you come as we stand and sing?